Welcome to another edition of UCBS on Times Live. Sometimes there are items in the news cycle that can be very complicated. You try and understand them and stay with the story for weeks, or you go, you know what, life's too short. This one I'll just never understand. The Steinhoff saga is one of them. And yet at the same time, the Steinhoff story is so significant that we dare not look away and failed to make some attempt to understand different pieces of the puzzle. Today, there was an important judgment that went in favor of the litigants, in particular, Tiso Blackstar, who is now Arena Holdings, as well as Amabungane, Center for Investigative Journalism, and a couple of other litigants as well, one of them being Rob Rose, who, of course, is my colleague, and the Financial Mail's editor, and um, he has been very important in South African investigative journalism on the Steinhoff story. And the aim for the next 10 minutes is very simple, hopefully to make you understand what today's judgment was about, why it matters to the Steinhoff saga and to journalism, and why this is the kind of story that might seem turgid, technical, but actually, with a little bit of an explanation, we can all be better off in terms of our democratic duty to understand what happens when things go wrong in the private sector, just as we are rightly obsessed with what goes wrong sometimes, often, in fact, in the public sector. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know this are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. It's great to be here. So the two broad aspects I wanted to explore, really, and that's it for today. The first is just to bring people up to speed to where we are before the judgment. And then I want us to explain why this judgment matters to financial journalism. So we got to a place where, obviously, Steinhoff went bust around 27. You'll know the timeline better than me. And then it was important to understand who the protagonists were in the making of the collapse of Steinhoff and the company in trying to drive a wedge between itself and Euster, then got worksmen's to try and get PwC to put together some data. Is that roughly what happened? Yeah. I mean, so the company, um, like you said, it had a massive implosion at last um, I think between it and the associated companies, something like 200 billion rand went up in smoke in a couple of days. And, you know, to bring that home to people, that's money that was invested by pension funds. So, you know, thousands of South Africans, hundreds of thousands of South Africans had money invested in Steinhoff. Um, so there was, a, there was a personal loss to them, but it's more than that. It comes down to executives who, I suppose, rule over our corporate roost, who 
you know, tell us one thing about their behavior and then are doing something completely different. So in this case, they had lied to the public for for more than 10 years. And in the process, they had fabricated 105 billion rand of profits. So that's that's a massive deception. And I think that it's important to look at how that, that kind of thing happened when we have, you know, we have regulators, we have a stock exchange, we have a whole lot of people who supposedly are ensuring governance and accountability. And yet we have this massive fraud that is, it was epic in global terms. Um, so that's kind of what happened. And then they hired PwC as an auditing firm to investigate what actually happened and produce a report to say, this is what went wrong and these are the people responsible for it. And fundamentally, they had refused to hand that report out to anyone, um, even though it cost $250 million to produce. And Steinhoff had said, we'll tell, we'll tell the public what actually happened to the company. They'd, they'd refused to do this. So Asan Amabangani went to court and said, you know, it's important that you come clean on this because who are you to decide as a company that, you know, that, that, that you've told everyone what you need to in your short 11-page summary that you did release? I read the judgment and that's why I called you for us to explain to our readers of Financial Mail and our sister publications, Times Live, Sowetan, Herald, Dispatch, Sunday Times, and everyone else in the country, anyone else who's listening to this podcast, why the judgment today matters, because there's so many news items, many people might skip over this one. In order for you as an editor, as a journalist, to tell the full story of the collapse of Steinhoff so that the public in turn can be better informed, why is this PwC document so important? Well, I mean, for a couple of reasons, but primarily because companies have been doing this for a long time. They've been producing forensic reports and then saying, you know, it's legally privileged. We can't tell you what actually happened. It's happened at ESCOM, happened at Sassel, happened at Tongot Hewlett. And companies companies have been using this as a veneer for quite a long time. And I think the courts are now saying, we're not just going to accept your say-so that this is how it is. We have to prove that you really do need it for this. And I think you see this another very important point that the judge emphasized is that you know, we haven't used this access to information um, law like we could have. And I think that it's confirmed that it now does apply to private sector companies. So the private sector had often done what it wanted and said, well, you can't, you can't look at us and you can't ask us this information because we're private bodies. And I know that, you know, we'd certainly used the access to information laws to get information from government entities. But the judge was very clear in this. It does apply to private entities and we can, we can get more information um, out of you that allows journalists to do their job, to report accurately for the benefit of the public and to entrench democracy and, and the right to freedom of expression and, and the public's right to know what's happening. That's absolutely right. And that's where there's an intersection between the legal aspects of the judgment and what is in society's interest and in between what is required as tools of the trade for you and I to do our job as media practitioners. And I want to walk our readers through those parts of the judgment that's relevant to journalism and ultimately to democracy. I started this conversation by framing it in terms of what we need in order to hold all sources of power to accountable, not just the state, but the private sector. In order for you and I to be able to observe Bain, McKinsey, banks like NetBank, we need as much transparency about how they function as we do ESCOM, as we do Transnet, SAA. And I found it really exciting, and I wonder whether the other side will try and appeal this point, that the judgment was very clear that the distinction between the public and the private 
cannot be relied on by Steinhoff in order to sustain its opacity when it comes to hiding information. Absolutely. And I think that they quoted the 2009 case um, involving uh, Stefan Brummer, the former Mailing Guardian, Amabangani um, managing director, um, where, he, where he fought with the Minister of Social Development. And the judge in that case said essentially that, you know, it's important for the media to do its job and, and, and basically um, ensure that we get things right because the consequences of inaccurate reporting is devastating. Um, and I think to quote from it here, it says access to information is critical to accurate reporting and thus to imparting accurate information to the public. And I think that's the that's the priority in this thing. And I think that that is where, like you say, the social need um, accords very well with the legal principle in this case. And I think it does does do a good job of reflecting the, the social mores in this particular case. Yeah, which brings me to the second part. And you've already summed it up so beautifully, but let's give it a little, little bit more texture. Fundamentally, this is about media freedom. But I really like the fact that the judge starts one step before media freedom and derives the value of media freedom from freedom of expression. And that's before we even get to political rights, such as the information that the citizen then has at the end of that process. How excited are you as a journalist that both media freedom and free expression as values are emphasized and detailed in the analysis in this judgment? I mean, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I've seen so many other cases where the courts haven't done this. They've prioritized legal and commercial um, confidentiality above these rights. So I think that for the court to say that this is priority number one and to re-emphasize how our constitution puts it, um, I think really will put a lot of companies in their place. And certainly I hope it'll put lawyers and company executives in their place to think that they can just do this kind of thing. Um, under the radar and sweep things under the carpets. Because, you know, one of the principles we argued in this case is that, sure, Steinhoff's told, told us that, but we don't know what they haven't told us. We haven't told that, you know, perhaps they're hiding awkward information from the public and they just don't want us to know. And that could be evident in so many other cases where we just don't know what's going on. And you see this, this, this creeping, um, I suppose, desire to keep things public through companies pursuing arbitration rather than going to private, to, to open court. Um, and I think that this is a pushback against that particular trend. And I think it's a very useful one. And, you know, like I say, it's, I, find it, I find it fantastic and very exciting. <laughs> one thing that the, 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 the judge did not do and didn't need to do, but which I reiterate often, and I do so shamelessly because I don't think as a country, as citizens, we internalize the point and often enough remind ourselves of it, even if we have on occasion internalized it, which is the link between our political rights and expression and media freedom. The information that you might glean, assuming you get it in the next 10 days and they don't find some legal way to stop it from getting to you, is not just to make you excited with having a cover story for the financial mail, but it's ultimately that Eusebius will have more information with which to make decisions as a citizen. And that link between your job description and the democratic benefit for the citizen is very important. And I think sometimes even as journalists, we perhaps don't articulate it well enough to the public, which is why some members of the public think that we do this as a form of navel gazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that perhaps a lot of journalists themselves don't understand that our job is to act as, as pretty much a watchdog for those who have power. Um, and I think that this kind of reiterates that we're not there to be, 
you know, transmitters of information that the companies want us to do and the government wants us to do. We're there to get the information that allows us to fully exercise our rights. Um, but especially business journalists, which I don't think have done a good enough job at that. I mean, we need proper information on how the economy works, how companies work, and we need to present it in an accessible way so that people are able to fully understand the consequences of their decisions when they vote, for example. You need to understand what the economic consequences are of electing this particular party or that particular party. And I think that we gloss over the economic implications of what we do um, too much. And I don't think that we try and present information to people in a, in a holistic and accessible way that allows them to fully, fully realize the consequences of what they do. Second last question. From an accountability point of view, just your comment. It's interesting, isn't it, that that small excerpt from the big report that Steinov had initially handed over to the various stakeholders was meant to be some demonstration that they have a commitment to transparency. But I find it just so laughable, Rob, that here you have a conglomerate that says there's a lone ranger that was responsible for the hot mess. He's no longer with the company. Let's call him Marcus. I don't know where he is, maybe in Hermanus. The rest of us are good guys. And we want to reconstitute what's going on here. I mean, this sounds like McKinsey, doesn't it, versus uh, Vikas. Um, but then you, you think to yourself from a business ethics point of view, if you want to demonstrate that you, that you really are to be distinguished from your nominal predecessors, I don't know how you do that as a legal entity, then one of the things to do ethically is to have a commitment to maximum transparency. Mm, absolutely. I mean, the thing is for Steinhoff at that particular juncture in its, in its life to say, trust us, we're not the bad guys. Like you say, it's, it's completely laughable. And I think that, you know, the companies don't realize that were they to put up more information and come fully clean on what happened, it would help restore the trust between average citizen and the corporate sector, which is badly frayed through things like, you know, McKinsey, through VBS Mutual Bank, through all these things that have happened, I think I think the need to restore trust in how our companies operate um, is vital. And this is going that way by taking the overly legal route is never going to do that. So I think that hopefully this will send a message to them that this is this is you know not only should you be doing this ethically, this is also what you will have to do if you don't do it. Beautifully put, and that gets me to the last question, which you've inadvertently begun to answer. Not only is it laughable that it takes lawfare to get them to do what is ethically obligatory. But it raises the additional question now whether they'll be tempted to continue the lawfare. What is the position of what was TESOR and what is your position? I mean, you cited in the patients, in the papers. They have to hand it over within the next 10 days. Um, and I can see the type A personalities in Stellenbosch trying to go through this thing and looking for counter arguments like excited schoolboys who think that they can come up with rebuttals. Do you expect to actually have the report or what's the situation now, tactically and legally? Well, we also, you know, Amma Bagani and, and the Finnish Mail also went and, and got access to Jacob Zuma's tax information. And I think that was far more unlikely. We didn't expect that quite as much as we expected to win this case. I mean, in that case, they appealed it. Um, SARS appealed and Jacob Zuma then asked to intervene. Um, so I expect potentially for them to, to, to appeal this. But on the other hand, if they weigh up those considerations that you've just articulated, the ethics of it and the consequences of this, um, I have spoken to people at Steinoff who, who want the pretext of, of being told, well, you have to hand it over. 
um, Istanov initially didn't reveal the, the names of the eight people who were involved in this until they went to Parliament. The Parliament said, well, you have to reveal these names. And then the then chairman, chairwoman, Heather Son said, okay, these are the people and that's Marcus. So they, they wanted to be told that and they had no problem doing it at that stage. So hopefully common sense will prevail. Um, but like you said, there are some very type A um, lawyers, particularly who foresee a long legal road and plenty of legal fees. Well, I think you've put it well. Wearing my hat as a commentator is an outro comment. If Starnoff is listening, it makes business sense and it makes ethical sense to just give it to Rob. And any lawfare, at best, you might win an appeal. But if you lose in the court of public opinion, your shares may still be tanking. Rob, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much.